Live to see it, friends. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or you can go straight to the blog at blog.speculist.com. On Fast Forward Radio and at The Speculist, we talk about the future, and we take a kind of an unusual take on the future. We look at emerging possibilities and emerging technologies, and we tend to disagree with the evaluation of the world around us that you're going to get from most of the mainstream media. Uh, in fact, we would argue that the, uh, that the sky is not falling and that if you're uh, really willing to look at the evidence, we live in a world that just might be getting better all the time. Moreover, we believe that we stand on the brink of what can be an incredibly bright future. If we play our cards right, a future that most of us haven't even imagined, much less dared to hope for, but one that we're all very much going to want to live to see. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me, as always, here in the virtual studio, is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm super fantastic. How are you doing? <laughs> I guess I'm also super fantastic this week. We've got a great show lined up, and I'm excited about it. I am excited, too. We're, we're doing a little bit of a head fake on the listeners by starting half an hour earlier than, than normal tonight, but that's got me even more energized. I feel like, you know, we're starting earlier. Um, this is, this is going to make the show even all the more dynamic. In fact, I think we faked out our chat host, Michael Darling. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get him in in about 30 minutes, probably. <laughs> yeah, he, he, should, he should show up probably, uh, you know, probably about five minutes before, I think, if... Uh, if uh, the past is any indication. But uh, anyway, for those of you uh, listening, thanks for joining us earlier. For those of you listening uh, on the podcast, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's always the right time to listen. So uh, we're glad to have you all uh, with us. This evening we are going to be having a panel discussion, and we're going to be talking about the future of fit and the future of fat. And uh, we've got a really fun panel put together to talk about that subject. So, uh, Stephen, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go right into introducing our panel, and we'll get started with this thing. Way to go. Let's go for it. All right. Well, uh, first I'm going to bring out uh, a new guest, someone who's not been on Fast Forward with us before. His name is Sean Phillips. He is an author, an entrepreneur, and he's an expert in the area of performance training and nutrition. He is the creator of the Full Strength Premium Nutrition Shake, and if you've not had one of those, you really need to try them. They are quite tasty. Uh, they are clinically proven to swap body fat for lean muscle. He's also the author of Absolution, the practical guide to building your best abs. You know what? I just got that, Absolution. I read that four or five times. I just got that, so it takes me a minute. And he's just released Strength for Life, published by Ballantine Random House. Sean, welcome to Fast Forward Radio. Thanks, Phil. It's great to be here. And Stephen? Good to have you with us. Now, our next panelist is, um, Stephen, is this correct if I say this? This is the guest who has been on Fast Forward Radio the most. Oh, yeah. If, you're, if we're talking about PJ, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, even if you don't count co-hosting, which she has done, I think PJ yeah. is, our, uh, <laughs> is our most frequent appearances on uh, She's kind of like Tony Randall used to be on The Tonight Show. Gentlemen, <laughs> 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 I'm really touched. <laughs> <laughs> PJ is a writer and a futurist, and she's a leading voice in the H-plus movement. She has written exclusively on, uh, excuse me, extensively, not exclusively, on transhumanism and related topics. And uh, she's also written for TV, uh, two of uh, Stephen and, Stephen's and my favorite TV shows, Xena Warrior Princess and uh, Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, and uh, has a novel under development. I have in my notes. Is that still the case, PJ? Or oh, yes, I've got my, my notes on my rewrite, and uh, we're into the second draft. 
So okay. rock and roll. Still, still <laughs> under development. She, PJ is also the chairman of the board of directors of the World Transhumanist Association, and she's a senior associate at the Foresight Nanotech Institute, and she's on the scientific advisory board for the Lifeboat Foundation. So she keeps pretty busy. Oh, and uh, also she is our exclusive Hollywood correspondent. I should. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Probably her most important. Uh, and I guess she is. The, <laughs> if if we're to if we're to congratulate anybody for how awesome the summer has been uh, at the movie theaters, I guess it should be PJ. PJ, we thank you for whatever role you've had. <laughs> uh, I had absolutely no role whatsoever, but I can say this is the first summer in a long time where I've actually enjoyed going to the movies. Yeah, it's been great. There you go. Well, we're going to have to pick that topic up again because uh, we we talked a little last week, TJ, about uh, how we think we're having a record-breaking, fun summer movie summer, Uh, you know, just for uh, at least record tying because Stephen talked about 1982 as maybe being the all-time great. But but we digress. I'm I'm, uh, introducing panel members now. Uh, Finally, we're welcoming back Brian Wang. Uh, He is the... I'm going to have to say newly appointed director of research for the Lifeboat Foundation. Is that right, Brian? I don't remember giving you that credential last time we spoke. Yeah, I think that was uh, more recent than uh, my last appearance here. Okay, so so congratulations on that. Director of research for the Lifeboat Foundation. He's also a longtime futurist, and he's been involved with Nanotechnology Association since 94. He's now a member of the Center for Responsible Nanotechnology Task Force, where he moderates the Technology Subtask Force, and he's also on the Nanoethics Group Advisory Board, so also a guy who keeps busy. Brian, welcome back to Fast Forward Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. This is, uh, this is an august group we've put together here this evening, Stephen. Um, how do you want to go about uh, starting out? You, you, have you got a question of choice that you want to ask? Or, well, uh, let's, just, let's just throw out a general question at first and see who bites. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Panelists, uh, I just want to, uh, just generally, the future of nutrition. Um, are we, I mean, we're not, you know, I have this idea, you know, science fiction movies or whatever, you know, you, we pop pills in the future instead of eat. I doubt that seriously. Um, what, I mean, what does what does the future of nutrition look like? Uh, and I'll just direct that to anybody who wants to answer. I'm willing to take a crack at that. Um, okay, take a crack. Um, so I'm I'm thinking that um, one in terms of the overall um, direction of food, like about half of the fish that we have now comes from fish farms, um, mostly in China, and for the wild fish thing, so it depends how badly we script the environment how much we have to have a certain amount of um, managed or genetically engineered enhancement in order to keep the food supply up. But then once we're, and that's kind of what overwhelm things like um, the European concerns over uh, genetically modified foods. And um, I think in that direction might be those things like the the vertical farming where you put a farm in a, in a uh, high-rise so by the city, it's more energy efficient because it's uh, more localized. And then there's also work coming down the pike for um, meat factories, like where you take stem cells and <clears throat> they can only have in the lab where you can produce meat that way. But once you have that kind of control, you can do all kinds of genetically modifications to make the food healthier. So I think depending upon how we head down the, the path of change the environment and, and taking more control of things, I think those are possibilities where nutrition could be worked into um, a more efficient agricultural system. So that's my take on it. 
Yeah, um, and and it, I mean, when you're talking about you know genetically modifying the meat or or, or growing it, we're talking about that meat, I guess. Uh, right. And uh, and making it healthier, are we talking about maybe leaner or or perhaps uh, omega three fatty acids instead of omega six or? Right, right. Whatever the uh, so expanding more on that kind of thing. It's from my vision of the future of medicine. I see. Um, more use of biomarkers, um, simulations down to the individual of what's happening in the body. So then if you're going to um, provide food into it, then you could also have, um, you know, detailed mapping of, of guidance of what you should eat, you know, kind of like your supercomputer version of a nutritionist advising yeah. you what to eat. If you don't do it, it still monitors and says, okay, you didn't do it, but let's try and adapt and do whatever. So I'm not sure... <coughs> You always have the the advice on what to eat and what to do. Whether you ignore it again is possibly up to you. Yeah, well, the information has been around for quite some time. Yeah, it's interesting right. to to ponder whether improvements in the technology of how food is produced will actually make us uh, in, inclined to make better choices than, uh, than than we have in the past. But one thing, uh, Brian, that interests me about your answer is. Um, uh, it sounds like, uh, although the process of getting the food might be different, the actually eating is not going to be all that different, uh, ex- except for the fact that the food might be a little bit better f- for us. Is, is that right. I, I don't expect that to change, no. Okay. How about that, PJ? Sean, thoughts on that? Uh, do, do you well, think uh, nutrition can, is going to take can, us in a different direction? I mean, yeah, this is Sean here. Um, and what Brian was talking about, I think, you know, we're talking about engineered foods here, more engineered and I like the possibility that you start to see uh, almost a prescription that we're looking at the genetic typing or the, the, the way different bodies respond different to foods because we're looking at really one of the most powerful drugs we can ingest in food. But I think as you, you talked about something, Phil, about how people eat and will that change, and, and I think um, that what we're heading towards is more of a, you know, we've got to get to a place of greater personal responsibility where we're taking responsibility for what we put in our bodies. I mean, this whole epidemic of consumption that we're in right now can't continue at the same course it's on. We, you know, we're going to self-implode, and I mean quite literally. So I think it's all about creating a greater awareness about how we eat and what we ingest and having the freedom that all food isn't done from an orgasmic experience that more as a fueling of the self and creating of your own energy. Really, food is meant to nourish our bodies and to be a pleasurable activity secondarily, but we've reversed those roles generally. I, I wonder yeah, that's if... A, that's, oh, go, go ahead, Stephen. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, in, in becoming more responsible, if uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be helpful to have, I don't know, Computer assistance along those lines, just kind of saying, okay, the optimal meal to have at this time, based on uh, you know your blood chemistry, uh, would be this, and yeah. uh, and and perhaps uh, some some guidance uh, wouldn't help us be more responsible. Well, and I, I think you know to that, Stephen. I think that that's what I'm talking about when I say you know like um, genetically matched. I mean, if we look at you know simply something like eat right for your type. And knowing a little bit more, we've, I think we've successfully proven throughout the, at least the last 50 years what I can figure out is that, that more information doesn't help us make better choices generally. It does for performance people or people who are looking to be better in life. But I think that the, the survival mentality, the get-by, good enough, fat enough kind of role 
it isn't going to be encouraged by more information. The kind of more information kind of shuts it down. So I think the the evolution has to happen. You know, I mean, we can talk about. I, I like the conversation where food's going to come from, but how are we going to interact with that food is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Well, also, I think uh, how how bad the epidemic of uh, epidemic of obesity and um, diabetes gets because. I would think that the 25 million some diabetics, I think that may be only for the U.S., um, I think they're forced to monitor, um, you know, sugar levels and, and, yep. um, and what they're eating and, and have little programmable devices that um, they have to kind of like input in how much they're eating and how that's affecting them and that kind of stuff and then having to monitor to it. So it's kind of like if you let your health get bad enough that way and then you're kind of forced to hmm. do certain things to track what you're eating because you screwed yourself up so much. Um, yep. But if you want to prevent that, and probably I think the attract disease, you can, you know, you probably have a lot of pre-diabetics who really should be doing more to prevent them gaining cells that way. So, and then having those kind of devices cheap enough, and and doing and tracking more things so that we know, okay, from the science side, here's where you're diverting from optimal parameters, then. You know, if if you're good enough, then maybe you're you have a wider zone where you okay, I I can be uh, eating more uh, bad stuff because I have more leeway. Um, so then that may not kick in uh, in terms of like forced behavior um, because of um, really bad results, kind of thing. Well, it's unfortunate well, it's that we have to end up in forced behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very right. unfortunate. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah well, well, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting, though, if you look at um, a, a somewhat analogous uh, situation might be uh, if you talk about overeating leading to um, diabetes and, and another chronic, uh, other chronic uh, problems that it, that it leads to, obesity sort of being one in its own right, and, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But um, if, 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 if you compare that to, say, you know, smoking, right, what, what has been effective in, in getting people to stop smoking. Actually, having the health information out there was somewhat effective, but I think that the social stigma that's been put around smoking has probably been a lot more effective uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of getting people to stop. And I, I don't know if that means that, um, that a, a social stigma around overeating or you know, eating unhealthily is a, is a good idea. It's not, not, it certainly wouldn't be my first choice for how to approach the problem, but I, but I wonder if, uh, if something I, I think like that... that social- I think the social stigma has begun, actually. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the things like supersize me, or uh, there, there's certainly lots of things in the culture that are percolating where people are saying, wow, fast food, maybe it's not the best thing for us. But I think one of the issues that, that hasn't been addressed yet, I absolutely agree that there are issues of personal responsibility, but we can't separate the issues of personal responsibility from the economic issues behind how food is actually made, produced, and distributed. And food costs actually create these tiers of nutrition in this country and in other countries where until we can create systems where people can make healthy choices cheap enough that they can justify making those healthy choices, it's not going to happen. When you look, especially with the rise of food prices now around the world, I mean, for goodness sakes, we're having food riots with with certain commodities um, in different countries, we really have to address the fundamental issue of how our food is made and the economics behind it before we can even start 
beginning to say to people, you know what, I know that Big Mac lunch is only 250 or however much, but you really should be eating something more healthy. I know it may cost you more, but you know, how, how do you make people do that? That's, that's a tough one. Um, so you have on one side of the equation people who are barely able to feed themselves. On the other side of the equation, we're looking at food now as, my favorite word is nutraceuticals. Yeah. Um, suddenly <laughs> food is medicine, and I actually happen to believe in that, that you know, what, in many ways you are what you eat. Um, but I think those, those two trends are, are separate cultures that it's going to take a while f- and, and a big change in economics to, to bring them together. Yeah, I think um, you sorry, just a quick comment there. I think you can yeah. eat um, cheap enough healthily, um, just a matter of maybe going to the grocery store the day before or, or you know, buying a week in advance kind of thing and, and packing more lunch. So it's probably more a matter of the convenience factor of yeah. being able to go someplace for a, a hot meal that you're used to as opposed to um, modifying and buying celery, bananas, um, smoked salmon or something. You know, oh, smoked salmon is somewhat more expensive, but that, not per meal. Like if you only had four ounces of it, something like that, it would, you know, if you were cutting down your, walking your portion size and eating right, I don't think it would be more expensive. It would just be a, a change that people would have to make and then also may have some initial preparation getting, getting used to a new pattern. You know, y'all, you, I'm sorry, y'all, y'all were talking about how the stigma of, of being, uh, well, of, of not eating right. But, you know, in, in entertainment or, you know, you open a magazine and everything, every, you know, the people you see are buff, trim, and good, in, in good shape, yet, we're, yet we're, as a country, are getting fatter and fatter and more and more out of shape. Why is there a disconnect there? Why, I mean, um, you know, more, more and more of our entertainment revolves around fewer and fewer buff and, and fit people by comparison to the uh, society as a whole. I mean, is, that, is it because there's a, a disconnect between in, in people's minds about, you know, uh, working out versus um, actually being fit? I don't know. Or Before anybody answers, let me just say that this is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking with our panel about the future of fit and the future of fat. We will be opening up our phone lines just a little bit later, and if you'd like to join the conversation, you can join us in our chat room, or you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. So, Big, uh, long I'll question. Run. Sorry about that, guys. I, um, I'll run with that one. Okay, PJ, go first. You okay, go. With that one? No, you go first. I'll go second. <laughs> okay, PJ, first of all, I want to throw out, I heard the whole Hercules thing, and I wanted to talk to you about that later because I always wanted to be Hercules, so we'll have to <laughs> later. I'll All right. I'm like, all right, rock on. And um, but we're talking about okay, so we got fat and fat or fit buff people on TV or in media, and fat people at home watching. And you know, I I don't. It's it's the disconnect. You know, I could go on for hours about this one, but I really think we're in a passive observing role in our lives. We sit and we stare at the TV. We've zoned out. We've numbed out. I think that. So much of this, I mean, first of all, I go back and I say we can ask people to eat better. We can ask them. I still get the, PJ, you're right about price issues. I think that's an issue. But I think the disconnect between fat and fit is self-awareness, self-responsibility, desire to get active. You know, it's, it's also fed by the fuels of the lies and misinformation of diets and, and supplements and quick fix. And, you know, so we feed into it further through infomercials and other tools so all these things are happening to the, it's really one of 
awareness and presence and how am I feeling and is that me in the mirror? Am I really seeing myself? Have I taken a, a real look at myself? Do I have a desire who I want to be? And it goes back and encompasses this whole approach to I wait till the doctor tells me I'm dying before I want to get well. And that's what I call the problem with health. We're sitting here walking the tightrope of health, waiting for, you know, illness to, to get us moving. And I just, you know, I could, like I said, I could go for hours on that, but that's, I think the disconnect is in the individual awareness and our, our you know, ourself. I think you make an excellent okay, point. I think you make an excellent point about how, in many ways, I think the disconnect, part of it is an issue of looking at our health as a medical condition, that somehow if, if I'm overweight, that's a disease. If I consume too much sugar and become a diabetic, I've created a disease. We've, you know, we've, we've pathologized so much about what was originally a very natural way of being, which was you ate as fuel and you exercised because you had no choice. It was part of your life. It was how you lived. You, you, know, you were running, you were working, you were out there in the fields, whatever it was. Um, but to address directly Stephen's question, it's interesting. Today um, I saw for the first time, I haven't seen this movie, it came out about a month ago, called Bigger, Stronger, Faster. Have any, are any of you guys familiar with it? Yeah, I actually know the guy who made the movie, Chris. I I saw the trailer, and it was fascinating because in many ways it's the same. It's the flip side of what you're talking about, the the quick fix, and, and it addresses the cultural issue of what it is when we have these, quote, unquote, role models, heroes, cultural icons that don't look like the rest of society. What you forget about a lot of the cultural icons, be they sports heroes or actors, etc., is that they are professional entertainers. You know, the, the the quarterback on the Dallas Cowboys is no less a professional entertainer than Bruce Willis, and their job is to look a certain way. Talk to any actress in Hollywood; her job is to have a certain size body, certain proportions look a certain way, etc. Now, whether she gets that in a healthy or unhealthy way, nobody cares. It's all about being that role model. Now, if it's your job on a daily basis to look a certain way and you you make more money if you do look that way than you don't, that's a great motivation. Most of us don't have that motivation in our lives. You know, no one's paying me uh, to be a certain, uh, you know, body size. Well, we all want to live to the fullest, though. Or, or, or you would think that we would. Want you would think we would. You would think we would. You would think we would. I think that's an accurate statement. PJ, I think that's a really, really good point on that you also, I want to throw in there in the Hollywood side, is they don't look like that all the time. They look it's like true. That. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Bruce Willis in. last week, matter of fact, and he doesn't look like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have some comments with that. With that um, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Yeah. Was that... Um, even though there's only this small population of the professional um, actors, entertainers, et cetera, who, who look that way, I think there are um, 10 million procedures per year, cosmetic surgery and that kind of stuff in the United States or, or, or worldwide. And a lot of people who, um, you know, Los Angeles and other places, um, I know there's a TV show on, um, um, what was it, um, HGTV or one of those channels where it's um, looking 10 years younger and how they use um, uh, um, a lot of certain cosmetic surgery, dental surgery, um, or, you know, orthodontics and stuff like that. And um, 
skin treatments, Botox and stuff in order to take years off a person's look. Um, and then I think um, a liposuction has moved up to become one of the most popular cosmetic surgeries around. So I think there's a lot of people who, who so there's a large segment who are obese and then there's a large segment who are trying to um, either be very fit or uh, work out and, and also use cosmetic surgery and other things in order to achieve a certain look. So there's large, large groups of millions uh, in, in each area there who, and in each one, probably within their social group, there's probably pressure or unstated or not to, uh, to behave that certain way. Uh, I think probably for the, for the obese and, and the inactive, I think it's, it becomes this kind of lifestyle. I know that I've slipped into it occasionally, like in high school and stuff, where you'd, the Southern lifestyle where you go to sell them and you buy the massive drink and, and bunch of junk food and stuff. Um, even when you may not, when you know better, you just, you can get into a rut where you're just doing that kind of thing for whatever reason, something else going on in your life. And you just choose that somebody that at that time, that's the easy way to go. Or for some other people, like I know who, who are obese, that they, they feel put off by the, um, the healthy fit lifestyle. Or just for some reason, feel that um, working out is too much trouble, you know, like you're sweaty, whatever. They just have chosen, made a series of choices that end up being uh, encouraging the obesity. Um, like well, I, having I, I, I want to respond to that, Brian. Actually, I want, yeah. I want to respond to that because I think one of the things that we're, um, uh, we're, we're stepping around here is the fact that there are a lot of obese people who don't feel that they have much choice in the matter at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of our... Uh, one of our panelists who was um, uh, w- w- was not able to join us tonight is actually uh, a guy who has done some serious uh, statistical analysis on obesity research over the last century. And um, what what he's come up with is is the fact that uh, that the obesity cure doesn't really seem to be working by and large. Right? That uh, we we know that um, if somebody is if if somebody is obese. That uh, that they need to start eating right and start exercising, and um, we we tell them to do that, and um, we put people on programs to do that, and by and large, for the most part, it's a dismal failure. I mean, if if you look at the uh, if you look at the if you look at the statistics, uh, you, you you will see people who haven't maybe slid all the way into obesity who can kind of get it under control, and certainly diet and exercise seem to be the right way to prevent it from happening in the first place. But as a uh, as a cure for obesity, it, it seems to be um, somewhere between a, a a complete failure and um, a, a a very disappointing approach. Um, and and people find themselves in a uh, in a position where um, they've got a condition. They're they're told that this is the cure for it. They try the cure. They find themselves failing at it. And on top of that, then they're told that they're not taking responsibility for their lives. That they're you know, in, in in some sense, not not being morally good people. In, in addition to the yeah. fact that they're, um, you know, ostracized, stigmatized for for being fat. So, do, do we need a do we need a better cure for obesity? Do we need a, a, a different cure? Or an, if so, um, when do we get one? What what will that be? Phil, so I got to run on just a bit bit of that. This is Sean. The uh, there's there's a complex, and we all know a complex cascade, chemical cascade that happens when someone's in obesity and they try to reduce that body fat, whether it's you know from the thyroid to hypothalamus to, to hormonals. I mean, there, you've got a complex thing that's working against it on all levels. So it is a difficult thing, but then they fail 
on what standard, on the quick instant fix? No, they do fail. It is a difficult, it is a difficult thing to get out of if some people do succeed. I think we have to look at it as, as, a, as a condition, a, a critical condition, and we have to look deeper at what's happening hormonally, metabolically, what's happening in the body and how to turn that around. And I think whether, you know, when, we're, when someone's seriously depressed, you know, they, they augment it, you know, get, maybe get persons going. I mean, I don't believe in, in heavy, you know, psychotropic drugs, but you need to do something to get the brain chemistry in the right order. I think the physical chemistry has to move in a certain direction. But I, I will go back to, yes, it is difficult, absolutely. And I don't think, you know, ha- adding that stigma to them, you fail or morally corrupt, helps anybody who probably, you know, may have an emotional eating problem to give, begin with or an emotional problem to begin now I want to back up just for a second and pose the question of what's turning on the genes when those genes get triggered and, and obesity begins to grow and grow and grow and it becomes a lifestyle. That becomes a whole other issue to talk about. How do we not turn on the genes before the people are age five? And is that what's happening now? That that the, the, these well, I think genes we're triggering the genes. I think everybody's got a gene. Most everybody carries a gene potential for for some sort of weight or health health-related weight issue. There are certainly larger people and smaller people and people with funky metabolisms and genetically blessed or cursed or, you know, I think within a, within a range, I think that excessiveness and the out-of-the-range ones, you know, are, there's some anomalies and most is just in a gene expression. It's over-carbohydrates, processed foods and things that are happening. You look at what's happened in the last 30 or 40 years in America and it can't be that our genetics have changed as much as, as our physical appearance have and with the rising obesity in childhood this is this is turning genes on now you've turned those genes on you've got a life lifelong battle that's that's your battle now you've got it so then if you were to use you're saying that the epigenetics has, have changed around it um, so that the genes are turned on so that i think there is certain work to to modify the epigenome as well as to um, to do some gene silencing, I was yep. I ran an article on my website about um, the success to to reduce gene expression by 98% um, with improved gene silencing and stuff like that. So then, by controlling the an entire complex aspect of it, uh, microRNA, all that kind of thing, then you could successfully get control of that. So you could turn everyone to a um, a better uh, gene expression where it's more tolerant of it. All the people who can smoke as much as they want, eat as much as they want, and still be healthy um, might be achievable for for more people. So then you could use that kind of um, that could be kind of fix for a lot of these things. By well, let's, uh, up. we'll look at that in just a minute. I just want to say that you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're having some fun talking about the future of fit, the future of fat. If you'd like to join the conversation. You can join us in our chat room, or you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. Actually, let's let's talk about the the genetic thing. I've got a I've got a question I want to I want to put out to the to the panel. Well, we haven't heard from PJ in in a while, so I'm going to throw this one to you first, PJ. And then (laughs) I hope I can answer. I'll I'll let others respond. Well, you're a science advisor for the Lifeboat Foundation, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm probably the the, it is probably the greatest misnomer uh, ever created, calling me a science advisor. But anyway, yes, go on. Okay, well, so now we, we, we know that um, um, all things being equal, absent a, a very carefully managed program, if we put extra uh, calories into our body, it turns to fat. Anything extra we eat is going to turn to fat, right? Yes. And we actually have these cousins of humanity, the great apes, and it works differently for them. If they eat extra, it turns into muscle. 
Okay, this is totally unfair. Now, does the future <laughs> promise a way of of tipping that formula in our favor? Uh, you know, uh, Brian was talking about tweaking the, uh, the 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 genome a little bit. Can we, uh, you know, can can we look at what the apes have got? Hey, we got we it? got brains and opposable thumbs. So, uh, you know, give the give the great apes a break. <laughs> no, I want it all, man. I want the brain. I want the thumb. And if I eat too much pie, I want it to turn straight into muscle, right? I, I want the I want the whole deal. Um, so, so, so I guess the question is, um, uh, and and PJ to you or to Brian or anyone else is. Is that the is is that the long term kind of solution? Can we can we emulate what what goes on elsewhere in nature? That uh, uh, where at some point it was advantageous, obviously, if you're in the jungle, that it was just all about strength and anything extra you got you 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 saved in the form of strength. Whereas we moved up north and suddenly it was all about survival. So anything extra was was saved was was stored in the form of fat, so that you could uh, you could have that energy if you needed it, right? So. Um, well, I know that there are new muscle-building drugs that they've developed for think, diseases like muscular dystrophy and cancer that inhibit myostatin uptake, which can create a 25 to 50% increase in muscle mass. So there's a metabolic process, uh, the uptake of myostatin within the cell, that they're inhibiting, which seems to shift the body mass increase from fat to muscle. I find that fascinating, um, especially since once this hits the stands, I'm sorry, antibiatic steroids will be out <laughs> and myostatin inhibitors will be in. Is this um, the muscle doubling uh, uh, gene that you occasionally hear about, the, the toddler that looks buff? Well, that's, yeah, that, that's one. Yeah, okay. the, what yeah. the toddler has is a mutated, no, uh, yes, right. Yeah, myostatin. So, so myostatin is, in fact, the thing we evolved to uh, to, to be different from the apes so that we could store fat so that we could live. At some point, it became an evolutionary advantage for us. And, and we look now and we go, well, maybe it's not such an advantage anymore. We're not, uh, yeah. we're not likely to starve to death. What do, what do you think, uh, Sean, about the things like myostatin inhibitors? Is that, uh, is that a promising way to go? Or, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, Phil, I'm all for them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just want to, if I could be like a German toddler, one of those giant cows. Um, <laughs> you're running cattle. <laughs> have you ever seen the cattle that myostatin inhibited naturally? I've not seen a picture of those. We're going to have to Google that. Oh, oh oh, there, there's there's this picture of this dog that looks unreal. I mean, yeah, he's a dog, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and then I think you said something. You know, I, I think genetics, genetic, ex, you know, modifying our genetic expression is something to help people survive and live live better. Myostatin blockers, which you know has been a overhyped, underdelivered. BS in the uh, supplement industry for years, one of those lies, because that's not where it's going to come from. It's going to come from, you know, a drug. And, um, you know, I think those, you know, it's, it's really, really an interesting area. I think there's something about the muscle aspect, which you talked about. If you eat excess calories, you store them as fat, unless you have a certain amount of lean muscle mass right now. And I can tell you, you know, if I eat a big slab of pie, you know, people look at me and I'll start sweating. I go, what's that? My body's burning off the calories. It's not because I'm carrying around a ton of excess muscle these days. I'm 44 years old, but I still, you know, 10% body fat with, you know, pretty strong lean muscle mass. But that lean muscle mass is is constantly burning calories, and it's it's regulating my insulin levels, and it helps me process excess carbohydrates. So I don't just store everything as fat; I burn it off. But there's an activity component to that in in lean muscle mass. But I I think it'd be helpful. But I also get concerned that we become reliant on drugs to to you know because I think there's a big belief system. 
deep, you know, not, not so deep or very deep in, in most Americans these days, which is some government drug is, you know, some drug or some of the government is going to save me from myself, and I don't have to worry about myself as long as I can live long enough to be saved by it. So I think that's a, that could be a real hindering component to our, our way of being. Well, the point being, until, until the technology, I'm sorry, really delivers, they, they can really deliver that kind of thing. We, we need to be... Uh, we need to be actively engaged with with what's available to us now. And Br- Brian, I just want to put that to you because I know you've written a lot about uh, myostatin inhibitors. W- what's the prognosis on those? Because you've been tracking the research on that. When do you think that becomes something real that uh, that we um, enjoy? The the wireless uh, uh, drug candidate that they had for myostatin inhibitors um, was found to be safe but not um, effective. It didn't um, boost uh, the muscle enough. I think they were talking about using. Um, Something that was working at the folostatin in order to use that to block the the myostatin, and uh, so I think there's some other drug candidates in the pipeline that will um, will address that. And there's also some, I think, some gene therapy work to uh, at an alternative path to get there. I definitely think that the because you, my thinking is best to tinker less with things. So if you can get a uh, drug that they can take for a month and then go off it, where you get your boost of, of muscle and then um, you know, try and work to maintain it kind of thing, as opposed to being having a gene turned on all the time, probably the better way to go. Um, but it, I'm, it's looking like about four years is uh, how long it's going to take to get out there. Um, it may not get approved in the U.S. that fast, but I'm sure you probably can pick it up in China or Mexico or something like that without any problem. <laughs> I, I like I like the something you can take for a month and then go off it. I think baseball has outlawed that, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, well, well exactly. I, yeah. I, I would take it if it came out. I would take it, and I wouldn't play baseball. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. That's the way to avoid that problem. Yeah, just not <laughs> play. <laughs> well, speaking of baseball, oh, I love uh-huh. being able to make that actual transition. Um, where where do we think uh, the future of recreation is taking us? Let's let's move out. Let's move towards the fit away from the fat just for a minute. And um, wh- one of the things that uh, we talk about on the speculist is we look forward to the day when work and play are indistinguishable. When uh, you you don't know if you're doing that which is uh, protecting your economic viability, or are you just doing that which you love to do the most because you've you've been able to incorporate both of those things into your life in such a way that uh, that, that you're that you're doing both at the same time. How about uh, working out and play? They, they should have a lot in common anyway. But uh, as we as we move into the future, are those going to uh, are, are those going to merge in in ways that we haven't expected? And uh, what do we see as the as the future of recreation? I think we're working on a, a drug that gives us the joy of activity of a five-year-old for our lifetime. <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, what about that? I mean, this is like a, I got a five-year-old boy. Yeah. You know, so I, I watch him run, and I go, I remember when I moved my body that that effortlessly, that freely. And I understand that that's, you know, I'm half joking, but I really loved, I love what you're talking about, Phil, there. And I thought about it earlier on, which was the whole issue of, Part of this whole thing is our chronic stress levels, our inability to attend to our, we don't put ourselves first. And so if we could put that and, and really have that kind of joyful expression, which is something I talk a lot about in fitness, it's, it's not drudgery and it shouldn't be a chore, but I love the integration into lifestyle and becomes more of who we are and how we move and how we express ourselves. And I think that, as much as anything, is really part of the solution, which is not just living longer or surviving, but really Thriving with a with a more joyful expression, and uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I love the vision. I'll shut up now. 
<laughs> no, please, you're on the panel. We can't have the panel members shutting up. That would be okay, well, I, I close the show talking. <laughs> uh, Stephen, I, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because uh, with this same topic, you have been, uh, in, in recent uh, weeks or months, you, you've been following a pretty rigorous uh, workout program as outlined in the book uh, TNT, right? That's right. Um, and and uh, let me just let me just ask you, how much of that is something that you look forward to every day? How much of that is something that you uh, that you just absolutely dread? And how much of it is just kind of routine? Is it uh, is it all good? Is it all kind of oh geez, I got to go do that again, or somewhere in between? How do you how, how are you dealing with that? You know, it seemed like that there was a uh, there was a curve approaching it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the first few times I got out there to work out and work and 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 I've then I just felt sick, you know. I mean, I, I'd work out for like maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and, uh, and and would be nauseous and have to stop and would feel terrible, and I would stop. And then I'd get back out there in a couple of days and do it again. And, and as it improved, it became less of a chore and less drudgery and, uh, and, 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 and more fun, when, particularly when I started seeing results. And, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I don't... I'll put this to the rest of the panel, but it, it, the one thing that seems to have worked for me uh, in, in in getting healthy um, is a combination of low carb dieting and exercise with weights. Cardio has never given me; uh, I've never lost any weight doing cardio, and uh, dieting with uh, re- with calorie reduction has never done me any good. Uh, but this seems to work. I, I'll just throw it back to the panel. Uh, is I mean, do y'all have any any thoughts about that? Well, I got thoughts about it, Stephen. I want to first congratulate you on on a nice job, and I think you put together it sounds like a nice one-two combo there. I'll have my own dialogue on low carb and where it fits and and why and how it helps insulin resistance and how it's not always a long-term strategy. But I love the muscle aspect, and I want to I want to make an analogy across what you just talked about, which is the difficulty, which most people don't make it through the difficulty. You know, I took up golf about 10 years ago and wasn't a big fan of golf. I didn't want to play it. It was difficult. It was a pain in the ass. I didn't enjoy it much, and I got a little bit better and got a little more joyous. You know, and, and you work at it, and you start to become something you look forward to doing. And I think that's an aspect. You have to get past the first effort, past the difficulty, past the part where it's hard and it starts to get easier. Then you get the results, and you start to do it for feedback, and then yada, 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 it moves on from there. But then there's the other aspect you're talking about, which is most people in this world who are just getting by don't really, if you say, well, you could really feel great, they figure if they don't have a headache and their back doesn't hurt, that they, that must be what great feels like. They don't know what great feels like until you feel great. <laughs> yeah. And you can't describe it to them until they feel great. And if they feel great, all of a sudden they're like, man, I know when I don't feel great now. Yeah. So I have yeah. the two, you two can, comments. You can, the new normal can be, I mean, you know, if you just feel terrible all the time, then that's just the normal way of feeling. Yeah. And, you don't, and, yeah. and they don't realize it. Yeah, I, and, yeah. and I, I certainly felt that way before I started working out and didn't and did not realize that I was not feeling good. Didn't know how bad you felt. Yeah. Yep. What do you got, Brian? Yeah, and, uh, two quick comments. Uh, one was my personal experience uh, with uh, success losing weight was also using combination of uh, diet and, and working out. Um, I had <clears throat> gained uh, much weight um, about uh, seven years ago where, you know, just stayed with gaining more weight um, since um, probably my metabolism slowed down um, in, the, in the 90s, something like that, gaining a few pounds a year and kind of letting it go. And then in 2001, gaining a bunch of weight um, because I was uh, doing a bunch of work, you know, 
for for IT, you know, kind of dot com phase and stuff like that, and they had a bunch of uh, free junk food lying around and just kind of eating that. So got to like two twenty, then got into a exercise and diet program with uh, twenty five fitness or like that. So basically, the portion control was just eating about half what I was eating at the time, and then exercising, working up, building muscle, and I lost thirty some pounds with that. Um, Actually, 35 pounds. So, and I was able to keep that off. So, um, that goes to the aspect of think of the, the lifestyle thing that you can get into a rut of what's acceptable, and then you have to get over the hump, the difficult hump of of starting um, establishing a new lifestyle pattern. And I think where technology can come in and help that is similar to the smoking patches or those kind of things, is to have various kinds of enablers, things uh, either medically or um, psych- psychological things or, or whatever to get people through that period where they're making the adjustment to establishing a good healthy pattern. And then once you're in the healthy pattern, then everything starts feeding back on itself and it's all good. So I think technology might be able to help with that. Yep. Creating the upward spiral. Yeah, yeah or, or reducing the uh, reducing the uh, the period of time where you're where you're feeling terrible at the beginning yeah. of wor- a workout program. <laughs> yeah, make it work in the other direction. This is yeah. fast forward radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking about the future of fit and the future of fat. Uh, the phone lines are open now. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can call us at three four seven two one five eight nine seven two or join the lively chat that's going on in our chat room. Uh, I see that uh, uh, Michael did in fact show up right around. Uh, on time there, so uh, thank, thanks for joining, Michael, and uh, hi, hi to everybody out there in the in the chat room. Well, I'm gonna, uh, Phil, I'm just going to throw this out. I, I, we have never successfully had a, f- a fifth person call in. <laughs> I think it may not work. I'm not. I'm not oh, sure. It might be at the limit. So, so the phones could be ringing off the hook right now, and uh, it just <laughs> we can't take that this call. So. <laughs> Well, we're actually going to we'll be able to test that at the next break because uh, Brian is only able to stay on on the program with us until the next break. So if uh, if we keep the others on, we can actually test that theory at that point, depending on uh, depending on how late we go. Uh, but I, I want to go back to something uh, that, that Sean said, Sean, because you were talking about uh, uh, watching the the five year old, and and to me this is the this is the key. Um, I think back to the time in my life when I was undoubtedly in the best physical condition that I ever was, and I was probably about 11 years old, and I never exercised. And by that, I mean I never did anything that I organized, it was, was in any organized way something that I thought, well, now I am devoting part of my day to exercise. You know, I just played all the time, right? <laughs> you know, I'd ride my bike someplace, or I'd be out playing with my friends, or, you know, I'd be outdoors a lot, I'd be playing a lot, and I was I was in this uh, probably best physical condition that I was ever in. And and you, and you think, well, you know, why can't it work like that? Why why uh, why does it uh, why does it need to be other than something that is just completely uh, joy filled and pleasurable for us to to get ourselves into really fantastic uh, physical condition? Last time I tried that, Phil, I got arrested down at the schoolyard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some about in your forties when you're down there playing kickball with the kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a social stigma. There goes that whole moral thing again. All that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I, it's really interesting though. The people I know that are most active in their thirties and forties um, have taken up comp- competition. It becomes the competition. It becomes the drive to compete, compete to better, 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 improve. And that becomes the real driver. I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know. You know, I kind of gave up the 
competing with myself years ago and have just, you know, I find, you know, ways to create, you know, but it's all it's all time condensed even for me because I'm very busy, so I'm always kind of time condensing it. You know, um, I don't know. I, mean, I really don't know. It's a great it's a great question. I don't know how you how you bring that kind of play back in. And I mean, certainly there are times and with 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 our kids and PJ. I don't know how your how old your Nathaniel is, but my Nathaniel's five and and we just are four almost five. And you know, I find myself playing like I like I was a ten year old again with him, but. Well, my Nathaniel is 12, and my daughter is 9, and uh, what he really wants to do is throw the football with his father, because I am all fingers with football. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's interesting, because, you know, thinking back to my own childhood, the best shape I was ever in was when I was dancing as a teenager. I was dancing six days a week. So you can't help but be fit when you're dancing that intensively. This was was ballet, PJ? Ballet, jazz. I I did it all. I was one of those, you know, but mostly jazz. That was my specialty. And um, so it's interesting. You know, once I lost the discipline of knowing I had a class, I had to turn up for it. You know, if I didn't turn up for it, I wasn't in the show. <laughs> um, that, for me, that was always the great motivation. It was that was the thing that kept me going. Much harder as an adult. There's always something else to do, and especially as a mother with kids. Yeah. Boy, I, I've I've started working out with a trainer again, and I'm just one of those people who no, needs to know that there's somebody waiting for me. I yeah. I have the hardest time doing it for myself, and. To segue slightly, I find it fascinating the whole idea of this, you know, virtual fitness systems. You hear about the Wii and all and all these different machines which sort of create this this link between your fitness and virtual fitness. And um, you know, part of me thinks maybe that would make me turn up for it. <laughs> what will make me turn up? Because yeah, there's be- this virtual expectation that you're going to be there, some kind of some kind of structure. It sounds like is, is what you're saying. Right, some, exactly, some exactly. So for me, exercise is always any kind of physical activity is always a very structured thing. So when that structure leaves your life because you've gone past those you know periods or you're out of that particular discipline, it, it's interesting. I, I I think that's a very important part of of activity, at least for me. I, I agree that I think the structure helps and. And it also whatever works for for whatever person. Like if structure works, then go with that. Also, I think um, peer pressure and being in part of you know if you're part of a team or something like that. Then mm-hmm. like I do uh, dragon boat as a sport, and um, you know you're you're part of twenty people paddling a boat kind of thing. And you know if you let them down kind of by not being as fit as you can be, then your your team isn't as competitive. Um, so I think having um, more community also around it can can help um, to uh, create a cycle of uh, positive feedback. Um, I think that some hey, of the Brian, we have a question from the chat. A question from the chat room to clarify what what is dragon boating? Oh, dragon boating! It's um, a large canoe, forty feet long or so. There's different kinds. Um, traditional sport from China, but which is all around the world now. Um, mostly the recreational sport. Um, so you have two people sitting side by side uh, in ten rows. Person behind uh, steering the boat. Person in front drumming. Um, there's uh, and basically the paddling is all on one side. So you have a um, so it's a paddle about four or five feet long, depending on how tall you are. And um, um, so it's it's 
the paddling is kind of similar to kayaking and, and outrigger. Um, which are probably interesting other things that they don't know about. Um, but, um, this large canoe, um, decorated like a, like a dragon and, um, and people compete to, to race with it. Good exercise. And it's worldwide. That sounds very cool. Are, are, so, so the the boats are uh, the de- decorated to look like dragons. Is there a, is there an aesthetic uh, competition going on at the same time? It's like if you if your boat goes faster, but the other dragon looked cooler. Do you only sort of halfway win, or no? No, no. It's uh, for the for the events. It's, it's all about the the times. Um, the yeah. um, the head is, is the dragon's t- tail has a t- tail on it, and then they have little scales drawn on it. But the usually the boats are provided by the event organizer. So you have you know between two to twelve boats racing at one time usually, um, usually a sprint course distance of about five hundred or thousand meters, um, uh, something like two hundred fifty meters, um, and they have world championships that go off in different uh, places around the world, either national championships, the club crew, as well as just local races, um, races in um, Vancouver and Toronto where they have up to two hundred teams, hundred some teams in L.A. and San Francisco. Um, and um, so there's several thousand participants, and then you have heats where people load onto the boats, load off. Uh, it's a fun, fun event. Um, and even if you're not at a high level of competition, um, it's still a lot of fun to participate in. And you it sounds continual. like uh, it, it, you know, it sounds like a power per pound kind of competition. It, right. So who yeah. put out the most most uh, most power for the for the amount of weight they bring to the boat? That's right. That's right. Um, so it, it, I think. Having that, you know, where you're in, say, a club or something like that, you you have something where you have extra social involvement and ties into your activity. Um, and if it, the event is also fun itself, then that helps to have some positive feedback to, to stay involved. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I, I like that. I like the I like the community aspect. Sorry, even like yoga class has that kind of you know you get you class. You're there. You're part of something. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And online, you have online training buddies and stuff. Yeah, you, you you make friends and 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 then it's like there's an aspect of seeing your friends in addition to uh, in in addition to the exercise and, and just the idea of things being fun really really works for me. But I, but I think it is interesting to to compare and contrast um, uh, somebody PJ like your approach, which is um, you know give me a rigid schedule and and a, a, I, I, for some reason just picturing this very severe Russian ballet teacher. Okay, with, with you actually hit the nail on the major head. Expectations. I, I, I literally, I mean, she carried a stick and she used to whip you in the ass if your butt stuck out. Uh, there you go. No, it's the real deal. Yeah, so, the so stereotype is true. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's, and that's going to work for some. And then you got me on the other hand. And and I, like I went to the gym today. I um, Sundays uh, and uh, usually Thursdays I go and I'll. Uh, that that'll be the day. I'll, I'll do everything that can be done at the gym because I really I'm not a big gym guy, but I like I do like to lift weights a couple times a week, so I I do that, and then I usually work out on one of the machines. But it was just such a beautiful day. I rode my bike over there. I got done with the weightlifting. I did everything I, I had intended to do, but then I'm like I'm not getting on one of these machines. It's a beautiful day. I'm on my bike. I'm just going to go out and ride my bike because riding my bike is you know fun, whereas the, the stair climber less fun, you know. So, <laughs> So, so it's just this, uh, you, you know, somebody trying to get out and have a good time, which I guess is is, is my approach. PJ's uh, want want to get smacked around a little bit, but but uh, they they both work, I guess, is is the point. And it, when you talk about, you know, there's different um, 
eat right for your type, I think you mentioned earlier, Sean, right? The, the, yeah. the idea that, you, you know, there's certain kinds of nutri- way we need to feed our bodies, and then there's certain approaches to how we exercise that are going to vary greatly from uh, individual to individual. Yeah. I actually uh, work out uh, completely alone at an hour that most people are still in bed. I, I, I just find that the solitude sometimes helps. I guess to each their own. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it just yeah, it seems like the it's it, it's hard to get a complete cookie cutter because people are going to respond to to different things. You got Brian, that kind of sounds like he's the he's the just right uh, mix PJ between <laughs> our two pathologies. I think Brian is the healthy one. Um, <laughs> I got this fear of responsibility, and PJ is looking to get, you know, knocked around a little bit. <laughs> you, know, you know, the fact that I wanted to start martial arts, maybe you're right. <laughs> maybe well, you're right. The first rule about Fight Club is there is no Fight Club. <laughs> and uh, we're, coming up, we're coming up on the next break. Um, I, I know, Brian, we're going to lose you. I want to ask mm-hmm. PJ and Sean, would you be available to stand for an additional 15 minutes? We, we've still got a lot more we could talk about if, uh, if you're both available. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, then I'm going to let Sean, excuse me, Brian, jump to the final question. And now this is a sneak preview to uh, PJ and uh, Sean, but you don't get to answer this yet. But, uh, uh, Brian, let me ask you, what uh, about the future of both either fitness or nutrition or uh, any of these related topics that we've talked about, what what are you the most excited about? What are what's got your attention that uh, that really has you uh, looking forward to the future where where these issues are concerned? I think um, you know, me a futurist uh, writer. Um, I think the most interesting thing that to me is, is those things like the myostatin and the um, and the gene therapy and gain control of our genome because that is something which we haven't had before and will be. Different, like just the you know eating right, exercising, that stuff we can have now and should have now, but that if we can, that this uh, path that is opening up is something that uh, seems very exciting and something that could really uh, change things for the positive in many ways. Not just with increased strength, uh, endurance, and those kind of things, but just overall increased health span, living longer, uh, and and better. Um, will will be a, a very positive thing, and then also in- intelligence enhancement, the whole the whole works. So, I think those aspects of it um, is what I find um, for me the most exciting. And if there's, there's one I mean, thing you're looking forward to, if there's one one big thing down the road that you think, ah, oh, that's that's a biggie. What what would it be? Um, personally, I'm I'm looking forward to the um, for the myostatin inhibitors because I think it's it's coming soon. Um, but then um, the biggest social impact will be from uh, cognitive intelligence enhancement. There's already a lot of that happening in uh, uh, universities and stuff where people take certain things to help with their concentration, um, Adderall and other things to help them score better on tests and stuff like that. I see that the better version of that coming along. Just like, um, um, you know, steroids would be replaced, you know, you'll have better, more effective um, means of enhancing productivity. I, I don't need to focus so much on what either is not intelligence and what is or is not enhancement of it, but just um, personal productivity related to uh, thinking is something that I think will be um, a big boost and a, and a big impact on um, 
society overall, whether that or the completely artificial version of artificial intelligence will be the bigger one. It looks like um, we already are intelligent with people, so most of the time, so being able to enhance that um, is a, a clearer goal than making something that's currently less intelligent. Uh, computers um, would be, it could, even though that could happen sooner, it, it's um, possibly less, uh, more difficult to, to see how, how that works. And, and also not as related to the, the fit, um, um, that the discussion that we're having. But, but it is interesting you make that connection, and I think there is a connection. We talk a lot on the speculist uh, and in these circles about the whole H-plus initiative, about the whole transhumanist movement of Im- improving the, the, the human condition. And this is one area where people have been working on it for, for a long time. So it's interesting to see that, uh, that improvements in, in this area are also dovetailing with, with other improvements that we have to look forward to. Well, Brian, we're going to... Stay true to our commitment. We thank you very much for uh, for being with us again tonight. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Brian. Bye-bye. All right. Well, you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and we're uh, talking with our panel about the future of fit and the future of fat, and we've now maybe got a phone line open. We're going <laughs> to see if this actually works. So if, uh, if you're interested in trying to call us, give us a call at 347-215-8972. So now PJ and Sean are both uh, able to start formulating their answers to what they, you know, what they think is uh, going to be the. That's the, the a tough thing question, even looking. if you had time to formulate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. we're going to throw other things at you between now and then. So, Stephen, what else do you want to uh, get into this evening uh, related to these topics? Well, I, I wanted to ask uh, Sean or, or PJ either one. Uh, I mean, I guess PJ is the one. That, uh, brought up ballet and other things like that. I mean, what is the future of recreation? I mean, uh, are we all going to, uh, you know, is is uh, what's the next mountain biking or rollerblading or rock rock wall climbing? Uh, what's the next uh, uh, What's the next thing we as adults are going to do for recreation and for fun? And, and yeah, what are they doing out there in California now that we, that we can look forward to here in the hinterlands? Well, I'm out at the beach, so there's an awful lot of uh, kite surfing that goes on. Um, cool. In fact, my son already has his little junior size kite, which are those big like uh, parabolic kites. Um, and he goes out there and he works with it on the beach, sort of training himself so that someday he can ma- master a big one and then take it out on a surfboard out into the ocean. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I have to say. It's if you really don't break your neck. <laughs> but he'll have to be a little older before I let him out there. <laughs> okay, now let me ask the same question for people that are over the age of 40. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to take up kite surfing? Yeah, no. Okay, well, no, that's, but that, I mean, that is. And, and that's a good example, actually, because I think technology had to come, materials technology and so forth had to come along a ways before that even became a viable sport. I don't think 20 years ago you could have had kite surfing. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, that's true. Available to make the kites out of. So, so that's actually a that's a pretty neat example. And, and maybe there will be some kind of you know training wheels version of it that uh, guys like uh, us can uh, in, enjoy. I, I, I don't know, Stephen. I just need an emergency that, that shoot or something I can pull. Watch, <laughs> Yeah, that moment when the when the wind takes hold and lifts that kite surfer up and they're just flying there over the water is just about the coolest thing. 
I, I, I really uh, enjoy watching that. But uh, yeah, I have a hard time picturing myself doing that. What do you, what do you think, Sean? What uh, what interesting well, stuff is coming down the coming down the pike in terms of? Well, I uh, think I think two things. You know, I think that that I mean, like kite surfing and you know different forms of. I mean, I took up snowboarding ten years ago or fifteen when it was still hip and new and. I mean, there's always the, the there's there's an edge, there's a fringe, there's people that that you know younger kids. I mean, certainly I'm not taking off in any kite surfing myself. That that you know they're new and they're really they look attractive and cool. But what are most people going to be doing, or what's most people going to be recreating with? And maybe it's not what's new, but doing more of what we know to do. I mean, I think bicycles. I mean, cycling, whether it's mountain biking. I mean, I live in Colorado, so I'm I'm biased. But I mean, you know, better. Better cycles, you know, we got gas issues, you know, going on, gas prices, we've got fuel, whatever. It's maybe not more cutting-edge activities, but just more of getting ourselves around, motoring, and enjoying the basics. I mean, really, I mean, I've, I've just really gotten into the love with cycling, both road and, and mountain biking, and, and it's one of those things that's, you know, because I'm in it, I see it everywhere, and I see growing technology. I rode my neighbor's bike, who's He's got a brand new race bike and my five-year-old bike, and the difference on those two bikes was as big as surfing and kite surfing difference. Uh, you know, I'm not a cyclist, but I certainly I, I live right off of PCH uh, Pacific Coast Highway, which is one of the great uh, bike routes. Although I have to say, it's one of the most dangerous bike routes probably yes. in the world. Why people do it? However, eight years, and I've seen such a huge increase of cyclists. Um, and it's no longer just the guys getting around. It is everybody in their full regalia with state-of-the-art bikes, and you see hundreds and hundreds of them on the weekends. Yeah. It's, it's extraordinary. I mean, to the point where, as locals, it's difficult sometimes to drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, it's, but it's amazing how, how that sport has, has taken off. I've also noticed, and I've found this, Interestingly, it is definitely influenced. You guys are making fun about me, you know, with young kids sports, but influenced <laughs> by our <laughs> influenced by our children. I'm seeing a real growth of adults taking up things like soccer, martial arts, uh, yep. things that their kids were doing, and they go, "Wow, um, that actually looks like a lot of fun." Now, my kids are both junior black belts in hapkido, and they go every week two or three days a week. They're really into it. And after all these years, I'm like, hey, you know, I could do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, no, we were talking about this just last week, Phil, how you couldn't imagine your, your dad at your age out bike biking. Going out riding a bike every day, yeah. And, and yet uh, I do it, and it's, <laughs> well, I, I can't I actually, imagine my life without my bike, actually. Yeah. Absolutely. I went to it's, another uh, martial arts studio, a Tang Soo Do uh, black belt ceremony because one of our friend's kids were graduating they wanted us there and among all these kids there were adults as well and in in their discipline they actually have to read an essay about why they decided to study what inspired them what made them you know go for this this great goal of, of black belt and listening to these adults essays you wanted to cry it was wonderful they were so moving because these were people who were you know, not confident in their skills and didn't think they were capable of this and made a commitment. Let's face it, a black belt commitment, we're talking five-plus years. Yeah. So that's a wow. real commitment. Um, but it was transformative for these people. And, again, I don't think they would have ever done it if their younger, if their kids hadn't been involved in it and they saw, wow, this is actually a wonderful thing. 
Yeah, well, and this, it's another case of, though, similar to what I'm talking about with the what's old is new again. I mean, and obviously martial arts being very old, but you're also looking here at an integration. Uh, we talked a little bit about recreation, but how about taking it to self-development? So I've got self-help, conscious development, conscious evolution involved in exercise, and that's something I have real passion for. And you see, I mean, martial arts really is, you know, much like yoga, you end up with a much more mindful practice. You're not just developing um, a body. You're developing certain skills, masteries, focus, mental, you know, even spiritual aspects. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's very cool. I mean, I think that's, that's really, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's where the rubber hits the road. You bring it all together in one aspect of it and, you know, being... You yeah, know, you're, you're working on kind of the whole person at that point. Yes. Plus, in, in some of them, you get to break boards. I don't know. That didn't yeah. get mentioned before. <laughs> Which is really cool. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I, I would be all about that. I don't know. PJ, are you breaking any boards? or uh, that's Not not yet. Not yet. Uh, my kids can, though. <laughs> cool. Okay, so that is part of it. Okay, that's very cool. I just, you know, the whole breaking boards thing is just always impressed. Uh, I, I got to throw out one one uh, uh, extreme sport though that I uh, I heard about recently. It was from another guest on Fast Forward Radio. Was, if you remember, Tobias Buckow mentioned Phil uh, a new sport involving weather balloons. You ho- you hook up these no, weather balloons. You don't remember this? Okay. Uh, How's it go? Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's simple. You you fill up a big weather balloon uh, with helium. You strap it to your back, and you, you're capable then of doing 100-foot jumps, and you just jump around the trail or whatever, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like being on the moon. Uh, okay, so it's this is I, I get it. So it's a weather balloon gauge so that it's not going to completely carry you away. It's just right. to reduce your weight so that you. Oh, that does that sounds pretty. That sounds I'm sorry. Pretty all awesome. I can imagine is the guy in the lawn chair. Yes, who, the lawn chair. <laughs> Yeah. You gotta gauge it right. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was that. Yeah, that was the guy who was trying to do it and didn't do it right. Nothing <laughs> like a little Robert Fulgram. <laughs> oh God. So, uh, so what about this uh, this this idea that um, it, it has something to do with what we can imagine ourselves doing? You know, I, I think that that uh, going back to the idea of my dad versus myself on a bike at the same age or or PJ you're you're talking about these um these parents who see their kids doing something fun and they think well I want to you know I can see myself doing that too the, the the people have an idea of 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 what they are capable of doing or what they would that what they would enjoy doing and that that we're able to I guess broaden our our notion of of what that possibility space is that, that that we have a much a, a much broader idea of, of of the kinds of things that that we see ourselves doing maybe than than we've had in the past. I, I wonder though. Yeah, let, me, let me throw a really can wild I, one out. Can, can I jump out, uh, Phil? Oh sure. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I think it's a youth culture thing permeating the old uh, people as they get older. They you know they're not necessarily ready to get old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you okay. Know, uh, the the whole idea act your age. Uh, you don't hear that so much anymore. <laughs> well, well but, I was lucky. But, I was lucky to be blessed with a grandmother. I was lucky to be blessed with a grandmother who uh, then, I guess, never acted her age because not only did now think about this. This is a woman born in nineteen, I think, oh nine. She was one of the first people to do uh, judo 
in the United States, there's women actually, to do judo. Somewhere there's Pathé News real footage of her and her little girlfriend. She was quite tall and her little girlfriend was quite tiny and you know, little tiny girlfriend throwing my grandmother, uh, you know, demonstrating that women too could do, do martial arts. Um, but you know, she was doing yoga and, and dancing and all kinds of stuff until she died. Um, she was one of those rare people who was very much a, one of those people you remember the, the term physical culture. You know, that was, she, she was a great believer in that. Um, and I think you know, again, as we've been saying, everything old is new again. Um, they, there have been these in the past. They've been fads um, in cult in Western culture where people have said, um, you know, the, being physical is you know is wonderful for your life, for your health, for your mental uh, well-being, etc. Um, but Western culture has, has, I believe, repressed it. Until, I think you're also right, there's now an intersection with the youth culture where people are like, well, I don't see myself as old. Yeah. Yeah, I think my grandmother was a rarity in that she didn't see herself as old among her generation. But uh, certainly, nowadays, you know, in some cases, we have people who are pathologically immature. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... You, you Take culture Phil, is a double-edged sword for sure. I mean, the, you know, the the fear of responsibility or the fear or, or the rejection of ever being serious. I mean, there 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 are definitely downsides to it, but the but but the upside has got to be, you know, the, the idea that, that we we don't peg ourselves as well. I'm old now. I can't do that. Right. That that's you know maybe even uh, you know kite surfing. I think Stephen, after you said that, I really think you're going to have to give it a try now. <laughs> uh, definitely have to wear a helmet and. I think that's, that's <laughs> wrap myself in uh, wrap myself in foam or something. <laughs> We're coming close to the time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay true on our segment break here, and I'm gonna throw it first to Sean. Uh, same question we gave to Brian. Uh, what are you looking most forward to? What's got you excited about the future where fitness and uh, and nutrition are concerned? Well, you know, and I, I want to re- reflect what Brian said a little bit, and I want to drag on a little bit if I can, too, and say, you know, I, I am excited about things like myostatin blockers and drug therapy, gene therapy, and those things. I think those are a huge asset, but what really excites me is is the personal experience, the individual, and I have this vision of freedom. When, we're f- when we have the freedom to have healthy foods, when fast food's gone because we chose to eat different, because when we have the freedom to live vibrant, healthy lives through our own, and that, to me, that's just, it's, it's, a, it's a culture of, it's a society-wide piece of a higher awareness around how great and how, how amazing life is and how great we can live, and I just think the word that stands for me is freedom. Awesome. Great word, and a great note to end that on. PJ, what do you think? I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> it's not a competition, Pete. What do you look like? Oh, I was, I was embracing the whole com- competition thing. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I look. I, I actually I agree with Sean completely. Um, in the sense that you know, I'm looking forward to these scientific developments. Um, by the same token, I'm. I hope that people take personal responsibility for themselves, because it really is the only thing that can change their lives. Um, and, and no matter what gets created and what uh, the marketers try to sell us, that will be the next thing, you know, the next diet pill, the next this, the next that. Um, ultimately, we can really only make those changes for ourselves. And, you know, Stephen, you're living proof. You're doing it. 
So far, so good. <laughs> I've got I've got a ways to go yet. But yeah. All right. Well, I want to say uh, the time has absolutely flown by. I I don't know when we've had a livelier or more fun discussion on this program. Uh, PJ, always a delight having you on. Thanks for being with us. We know you'll be on again with us soon. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And Sean, great having you on for the first time. We hope that uh, you'll you'll be available again at some point in the future. I'd love to, Phil. I appreciate it. And Stephen, I got a book coming for you. It was it was nice talking with you. And PJ, thanks. It was I enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. I'll, I'll be looking forward to it, Sean. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much to our panel and to uh, uh, Brian. If you're still out there listening, uh, what what a great what a great discussion. Thank you all for uh, for being with us this evening. This is Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And it's Phil and Stephen. We're still talking about the future. We're going to be shifting gears a little bit here, but uh, our phone lines are should be completely open now at this point. And if you'd like to join us, you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. We've also got a lively chat going on in the chat room. Well, after all that, Stephen, I just feel like we need to reflect for a moment. I don't know. Do you think uh, a moment of silence here on Fast Forward Radio? <laughs> I don't know if that's necessary, but you talk about a lot of fun. And... Uh... Um, you know, we, we, we've had a good time with this uh, discussion this evening. It's been it's been great. Uh, you know, I yeah, I, 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 I would like to have uh, been able to keep Brian on for 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 longer. This uh, I, I think this format works well for uh, for a show that runs a little longer than an hour. I think we might have even been able to push this one out to the full to the full ninety minutes. We might try that sometime with a with a willing group. Um, you know, next week, uh, we're, unless unless you uh, plan something different, uh, we'll probably be talking about uh, a, a a post that Brian wrote a couple of weeks ago uh, about the mundane singularity. Oh right, and, uh, we should have mentioned that. that I uh, guess I should have. Using his material to uh, make him kind of the virtual guest next week too. Of course, That's if he wants right. to call in, he's always uh, always welcome to do that. But yeah, it's a it's a great group. It's it's a shame that our other. Uh, uh, other panelists didn't respond. I think that would have made it all the more lively, but uh, uh, certainly was a lot of fun. Well, I want to shift gears just a bit because I know uh, that you uh, wanted to report on having seen one of the big summer movies again, since we're tracking all the uh, the big summer movies, and I believe you went to see Wall-E over the weekend. What, what are your thoughts? Great movie for everybody. It's not just a kid's movie. Uh, uh, it is marketed to kids, um, mm-hmm. but, but it's not... Uh, um, it it is almost an art film, you know. And, and how, how do you mean? What, well, um, how, how? They, it deals with concepts uh, that are that are very adult in, uh, in you know, not that they're inappropriate for children, but just deep concepts. Um, this is a, this is a movie that probably will be the easiest movie ever to. Uh, uh, since the silent era, to translate to international audiences. Um, the first 40 minutes or so of the movie, there's literally no dialogue. Um, oh, okay, so it's just it's watching cool. Wally do whatever it is he does there. And and, that's right, and uh, and he's joined, you know, he has, he, has a, he has a little cockroach friend, and then he's joined by uh, another robot, and... Uh, um, but it's it's remarkably touching. I, I don't know how, how to say it differently. I, I, and if the if the movie has a weakness, it's the humans in it. Um, they're less <laughs> believable than the robots. Less less uh, less believable, or you're just less sympathetic to them. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's maybe they're I'm, I'm, you're less sympathetic to them. Um, but I think believability is part of it as well. Um, 
I don't want to give away too much about the movie, so I, I won't get into why they might not be believable. But for the, you know, if you see the movie, you, you probably will realize what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, but it's 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 just a good movie. It deals with a lot of themes. Uh, that you know, uh, it it it's a critique on the consumer culture. It's a critique on uh, sitting on our big butts and doing nothing. Um, and uh, and and allowing a lot of the things that that Sean was talking about exactly, uh, and just absorbing the world around us rather than participating. Um, and it's uh, it, it's it's just a remarkable film, and I, I think it's uh, um, it's it's one of the year's best in a in a very good in a very good year. And so, got to get to see that one. It's uh, Pixar is just. I mean, I don't I don't know when they're going to get around to making a bad film, but so far. Uh, <laughs> they haven't had time for it. For, uh, they've all been they've all been really cool. Yeah, I've, been, been I've enjoyed good. everything uh, of theirs that I've seen so far. So, looks like looks like they've got yet another winner. Okay, well, do we have any other uh, any other topics you want to get into this evening? Or are we going to? Uh, well, I want to get to see. Uh, I'm going to go see Wanted soon, and uh, I got to get I got to get out there and see Angelina Jolie's uh, latest. So, but I, I have not gotten to see that this weekend. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that one too. That one less. Speculist related, I guess, probably than uh, than Wally. Than, yeah. than Wally. Although, although uh, from the from the previews, it does appear to take place in kind of a fantasy world. I mean, not that it, people are magical or anything, but the the, the setup sounds pretty outrageous. Uh, you know, if not kind of fantastical. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, but it looks like a whole lot of fun. So I'm gonna get to see. That. Oh no, it looks yeah, it looks. I mean, the, that's my favorite kind of movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to have a premise, go big. I always say, absolutely. So, yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing that one. So, uh, what do we got going on music-wise tonight? Uh, the band is Dirty Proper, <laughs> and uh, the uh, the song is Time. The song is called Time, and the band is called Dirty Proper. Well, we'll have uh, information on tonight's program up in our show notes. We've already got. Uh, a little bit of information up there uh, on who our panelists were. We'll try to find a picture of one of those big cows that's had its myostatin inhibited because that's sounding really interesting to me now. And in addition to which, we'll we'll try to uh, provide links to all the topics that uh, that we got into this evening. When do you think yeah. we'll? Uh, when do you think? I don't want to rush that, but when do you think we'll have that? Well, I'll. I'll uh, what I generally try to do is get something up um, uh, this evening. And uh, but throughout the day tomorrow, I might add stuff to it. So um, yeah, just be looking forward at the speculist, and that's uh, that's www.blog.speculist.com. Yeah, and it's an iterative process, so keep checking back. And of course, if you're looking for something in particular and you don't see us, uh, leave a comment and say, "Hey, what about that thing you said that was that?" And we'll try we'll to find the like, I don't always remember the the weather balloon thing and that kind of stuff. But now, hey, now that that's come up, we need to have Tobias back on and. Uh, and explore that one a little further. I think I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> Just be careful, Phil. <laughs> that sounds even worse than the uh, than the kite surfing. And here in the Rocky Mountains, it just seems like it's the perfect sport. You know, I mean, you want to get to the top of a 14er. I would think that having a having a having a uh, oh, I'm sorry, is 14er is that that's jargon to Colorado? Uh, we have mountains that are 14,000 feet high. The peaks uh, there are. Uh, oh, off the top of my head, I don't know. I'm going to say about 40 of those in Colorado, and people make a uh, ritual out of climbing to you, being one of the people who's climbed all the 14ers in Colorado. And I'm thinking, wow, 40, you know, 40, 14,000 foot peaks. Wow. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's quite an accomplishment once you get that one in. I've done zero so far, although I did ride a train <laughs> to the top of Pike's Peak once, so I, I guess I don't know if that counts or not. That counts, yeah. Um, <laughs> probably not completely, nor would it count to get to the top of all of them with a big weather balloon on your back, but I'm thinking I'm going to have to give that a try. I don't know. That. <laughs> Michael Darling in the chat room is suggesting uh, balloons on bikes. <laughs> wear, wear a bike, uh, wear the balloon to help you get up a hill uh, on, on your bike. Yeah, well, exactly. Every time you hit a bump, you know, you catch a little air. With that balloon, you're going to catch a lot more air. You know, that's that's my point. Okay, well, I think that does it for tonight's uh, tonight's Fast Forward Radio. And now I've already lost the thread. Who would you say the band was again? Dirty Proper, and the song is Time. The song is Time by Dirty Proper. All right, well, thank you, Stephen. Thanks to everyone who hung in in our chat room, and thanks once again to our wonderful panel. We look forward to being with you all again very soon on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night.